I love that song. On the bass right here. Charlie, hey, you were jamming. I'm just saying, I'm just noticing. He was, I mean, come on, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. I love that bass. Oh, man. Yeah, that was great. Ah, something seems different today. There's a tall guy missing. Some tall guy's missing today. No, uh, Mitch is in Alabama. He had a, a, a wedding to do there. And it's actually pretty cool. Um, I heard that the, the girl that he did the wedding for was actually his and Camden's flower girl, right? So isn't that just, that's just really sweet. And then so Mitch and his family went up there to, you know, officiate the wedding. And then his daughter, Baylor, is now the flower girl for this couple. So isn't that just, oh, right? That's just, that's just wonderful. So he's, he's, he's missed, but, um, so you're stuck with me today. Sorry. Um, so yeah, so last week, Mitch, um, ended in John six and he really, uh, nested, um, the truth, uh, in John three sixteen. right? He talked about the truth and he mentioned, uh, in John three sixteen, and we all know what John three sixteen seventeen says, right? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. The truth is hard for a lot of us. I notice even the, the word truth, we, we stumble, we stumble over. Pilate had a hard time with that word truth. If we remember, if we fast forward to, I think, uh, John 18, you don't have to put it up, but John 18, 37, Jesus says this. For this reason, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is this truth? A lot of us, some of us in this room might be thinking the same thing. Like, what is what is truth? I would ask, are we hearing his voice? That's the first thing I would ask. And if you're not hearing his voice, why not? In our current culture, we are struggling with the word truth. Like I said, we have heard it said that your truth may not be my truth, right? Or um, what's true for you may not be true for for this person. All that's very individualistic. Is there an objective truth? I would say that there is, right? But I feel like we have to redefine words and even redefine, like, our reality. Um, There's just so much baggage. There's so much confusion with the word truth, so we really can't start there. We even struggle with what is good, right? The word the word good we get stuck on, right? What's good for this guy may not be good for this person. What's good for me may not be good for my neighbor. It's good for me to cut down my neighbor's tree because all the leaves keep on falling over my fence and I got to rake them up. So let me cut down their tree, right? But then my neighbor doesn't get her apples or her apricots, 
Right. So is that loving my neighbor? Is that good? Um, Again, very individualistic. And that's because of our presuppositions regarding the word good. But for most people, regardless of religious affiliation, can genuinely agree on beauty, which is interesting. I was um, driving down uh, near our old building uh, on Henderson and Florida, and there's all those beautiful murals. There's all these beautiful murals all over the place, right? And there'll be in neighborhoods where you'll see graffiti and, and all types of stuff, but no one really messes with the murals, with the art. Why is that? Right? Because they're like, you know what? That's beauty. That's art. I'm not going to touch that. That's no matter what, matter if you're atheist or doesn't like that's, you know, that's beautiful. That's that's sacred. Now, I've never heard uh, I've never had a single person tell me that a sunrise was ugly. I haven't met that person yet or that a sunset is hideous. As a matter of fact, every time I'm uh, on Bayshore Boulevard, me and me and Scott, I don't know where he, he's in there somewhere. He was up here. We, we meet. Oh, there he is. That's Scott. We meet sometimes um, on, on Bayshore. And, and every time I, I see the sunrise, I can't help but smile. Like, I just can't help. Like, even a little, as soon as it peaks over the horizon, I just, I just can't help it. I, I grin. Why is that? Right? Because it's beautiful. Uh, there's a word for this. It's called the transcendentals. Okay. Theologian Kenneth Zamples defines it in this way. He says, a transcendental refers to something that exists beyond the time, space, matter, world. It is a universal reality that extends beyond our everyday sensory experiences and is thus considered non-physical, immaterial, conceptual, and even spiritual. In philosophy, the transcendental relates to and acts to describe the nature of reality or being. Therefore, one might think that these values as timeless universals and attributes of being. The main three, which are truth, goodness, and beauty. Truth, goodness, and beauty. What is real, what is right, and what is lovely. The transcendence of God means that God is outside of our experience, our perception, and our grasp. He's outside of that. Yet he's ineffable, right? So he's... He's unexplainable. We can't grasp him. But yet his, un, his indwelling spirit, his Holy Spirit, means that he is knowable, he is perceivable, and he is graspable. Which is interesting because he, he isn't, but yet he, he is and he, he isn't. But he gives us his spirit. He breathes on us his Holy Spirit and we can grasp him. We can perceive, we can, we can know him because he wants to be known. As pastors, our job is to teach the word with patience, exhortation, accuracy, to encourage you in your walk with God. Second Timothy 4.2 says this, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and complete with complete patience and teaching. So today I just want to start off with what is beautiful. And I hope it will encourage you to walk in your walk with God. So we can start with 
John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That he gave. Right? That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is a beautiful, beautiful love story. God with us. My hope is that we all can agree that love, agape love, God's love is beautiful. To love the people so much that you would give up your own son. With that as a backdrop, I want to read from our text in John 7. We'll start at 16. Because I want you to hear from Jesus and not me. So let's, let's see what Jesus says here. So John 7, 16. So this is the, the, the context is that it's the middle of the feast. Uh, Jesus goes up to the temple and the Jews are, are marveling at him. They're like, man, how can this guy teach the way he teaches when he hasn't he hasn't studied like this is amazing. Who is this guy? And then Jesus answers with this. We're in 16. My doctrine is not mine, but he who sent me. If anyone wills to do the will, his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. He who speaks of himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. There's that word again. And no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marveled. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision. That is not from Moses, by the way, but of the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to the appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Pause there for a second. So he's dealing with Jews that are working, right, on the Sabbath. Right? If you're circumcision, if you do anything, that is work, right? And there's good reasons to be circumcised and infections and physical things. It's, it's, it's a good thing. But Jesus says, I made a man completely whole. And yet you guys are after me saying that I'm breaking the law. But you guys break the law all the time. And so do we, because we can't, we can't hold up, the, we can't keep the law. That's why we need Jesus. Look at 25. Now, some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he who they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one will know where he's from. They really didn't know where he's from. That's a misinterpretation of Isaiah 53. They thought they knew that Jesus, where Jesus was from and that, you know, they, they, they had in their mind who the Messiah was going to be, how he was going to come in politically and take over, and they ran with that, right? But they, 
should know, and Micah does say that he was born in Bethlehem. All he had to do was ask Jesus, hey, were you born in Bethlehem? Yes. That's neither here. Let's, 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 let's keep it going. Uh, 28. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, you both know me and you know where I'm from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true. Whom you do not know, but I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Therefore, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Interesting. They sought to take him. They tried to take him. How do you try to take something? Don't you just do it? You have all these people as one guy. You can't take him? Why is that? Because Jesus is in control. God's in control. You can't take him. He gives himself up freely. So they sought to take him. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, if there is another Christ that comes, will he do more signs than which this man has done? And the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees said to the chief priests, sent officers again to take him. And then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer. And then I go to him who sent me. Pause right there. I, I love that part because I feel like Jesus just did like a, a Jedi mind trick on them. He goes to take them and he says, before you take me, I will be with you just a little while longer. And they're like, wait, what, what do you mean by that? Like, so already, like, he, you know, what I mean? he's, just, they, they, he's already confusing them. You confuse them real quick, you know. And so he says, you will seek me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews amongst themselves say this. Where does he tend to go that we cannot find him? Does he intend to go to the, to the dispersion amongst the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he's saying that you will seek me and you cannot find me? And where I am, you cannot come. Listen to this. On the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as scripture has said, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. We just sing a song about that, our first song, right? Open up the floodgates, a mighty river. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore, many from the crowd, when he heard this, when they heard the saying, truly said, This is a prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. That is really interesting. Does anybody know what today is? Today is Pentecost. Yes. Yes, Pentecost. Meaning 50th, meaning 50 days after the resurrection, 50 days after Easter. This very day, 2,000 years ago, plus or minus a couple decades probably. The Father sent the Holy Spirit, and we received power. This is the promise that Jesus is talking about here in John 7.38. Turn with me to the book of Acts. I want to read the promise again. Acts 1, just 4 through 8. Listen to this. Again, this is the promise before the Holy Spirit. He says, verse 4. And being assembled together with him, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, 
but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now, he gives us the timeline. Thank you, Jesus. He gave us a little something. Listen, but we're greedy, though. Like, we're, 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 we're greedy. We're like children. We are children. Listen to this. He says, not many days from now, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. We should be saying, thank you. We say, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, hey, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom into Israel? It's like, you just blew past it that I'm going to give you power by the Holy Spirit in a few days. Now you want to know if the kingdom of God's going Listen, it is not for you to know the times or reasons or seasons, right? Not the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. Let's focus back on what I just told you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end and to the end of the earth. And then he ascends into heaven. Do we believe that promise? Because he never breaks his promise. The act of the Holy Spirit is actually in Acts 2. And this is the very day that we're talking about, which is today. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord at one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And that word is pneuma in the Greek, right? That, that breath in motion. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to be with them divided tongues as a fire. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there was a dwelling in Jerusalem. And there, was, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. So these are learned men of Jerusalem. These are people that have read, studied all the things. Okay? Devout men. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are all, are not all these who speak Galileans? They're not Jews. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Perga, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and all parts of Libya, and adjoining in Cyrene, and visitors of Rome, both the Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, and we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Of course, there's always a, a group that's, you know, going to mock, be defiant. Oh, they're all full of the new wine. They got the new stuff, right? But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour in the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. And all my men servants and all my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit on those in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven and above the signs in earth and beneath blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great day and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I get energized when I, I, I hear that. Like, and I didn't know that we were going to, you know be in John 7 and, 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 and preach on this. It's, it's wonderful how God works. It's how that line up with me speaking today and it just happens to be the Pentecost, 50 days, and that happened today, and this happened 2,000 years ago, and it's still real today. It's real right now. God with us. That's the truth. He is always leading his people. If we allow him, just like he led his people out of Egypt. This is the last verse I'm going to read. But it's Exodus 13, 17 through 22. I want you to hear this with fresh ears. Look at this, 13, 17. This is the wilderness way. This is God's way. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let, his pe- let the people go that God did not leave them by way of the land to the Philistines, although that was near. It was closer. For God said, at least perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Pause right there. God knows our hearts. He knows us. He knows that we're weak-minded. He knows that the people were, it's, yeah, it's faster just to go straight ahead, but they're going to see war. Even though I'm with them, I am God, and I will... Make the way, Matthew, I just, I'll part the Red Sea just now. But yet, they'll see this and they'll get scared and they'll, they'll turn back to Egypt because we, we just, we waver back and forth. God knows this, right? So what does God do? He leads the people around the way, the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children in Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. Listen to this. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Guess who leads us now? It's Pentecost. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit goes before you, behind you. He's on your left. He's on your right. Leading us. All we got to do is trust God. He doesn't leave us. God with us, Emmanuel. So what is true, good, and beautiful? The reality that the very presence of God is right here. 
and it's in each and every one of you who believe. You are the very dwelling place of God. Now you can ask the question to yourself, do you believe this? You must start with beauty. Whether you're a Christian or an atheist, anything in between, we can all appreciate a Van Gogh. We just got back from uh, the Art Institute in Chicago, and it was beautiful. We saw Rembrandt, Van Gogh, uh, Michelangelo sculptures. Like it's, it's art, it's beauty. It doesn't matter who you are, you appreciate what's beautiful. A symphony playing Beethoven's Fifth. Right? It's, it, it does something to you. Like you feel that song. If you listen to Beethoven's Fifth, like you feel it. You know, like, oh my goodness, right? If you've never heard it before for the first time, it's like, oh wow, this is it's art, it's beauty. When we come to terms of what's beautiful, then we can have a conversation about who's behind the beauty, right? And that person is Christ. He is what is true, good, and beautiful. So my favorite author is C.S. Lewis, and I want to close with an excerpt from his book on mere Christianity. Um, if you haven't read this, Mere Christianity, I, it's a great book. Great book. Um, so listen to this. If I can get to the page. Okay, this is what he says. He says, I hope no reader will suppose that mere Christianity is here put forward as an alternative to the creeds of existing communions, as if a man could adopt it in preference to congregationalism or Greek orthodoxy or anything else. He's talking about all the different religions uh, within Christianity. He says, it is more, Christianity is more like a hall out of which doors open into several rooms. If I can bring anyone into the hall, I shall have done what I attempted. But it is in the rooms, not the hall, that there are fires, chairs, and meals. The hall is a place to wait in, a place from which to try the various doors, not a place to live in. I love that. Fires, chairs, and meals. Fires keeps you warm. Chairs, you get to rest. Meals, you get fed. Don't get fed in the hall, right? Think about school, right? All the kids that went out in the hall like, and stayed in the hall, all the learning happens in the classroom, right? That's how you develop. You don't develop in the hall. But in the hall, you can talk about, oh, yeah, that's science down there. Yeah, I know science. And that's math down there. And PE's down there. And art's right there. And so, yeah, I know my stuff, you know. <laughs> no, but have you actually experienced, like, Science and math and art. Have you actually looked at? No, but I can, I can talk about that stuff. Very, very different. He says this in plain language. The question should never be, do I like this kind of service? Or, but are the doctrines true? Is holiness there? Does my conscience move me towards this? Is my reluctance to knock at this door due to my pride? or my mere taste, or my personal dislike of this particular doorkeeper. 
when you reach your room, be kind to those who have not chosen, be kind to those who have chosen different doors and to those who are still in the hall. If they are wrong, they need your prayers all the more. And if they are your enemies, then you are under orders to pray for them. That is one of the rules common to the whole house. Talking about the house of God. So the hall, consideration of total truth, right? But if we stay stagnant in the hall, we gain nothing. There's no measurable growth, no flourishing, nothing happens. And maybe this is you today. Maybe you're just in the hall, right? Maybe you know a lot about religion and you're just kind of in the hall. I would encourage you to try a room because that's where you get to participate in what God is doing. More than just head knowledge of science, math, art, and a little bit of knowledge. No. It's more than that. It's the work through the Holy Spirit, which you have. And if you don't, and you want to know Jesus, come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Tim back there. Accept him as your personal Savior and receive the Holy Spirit. Because it doesn't matter uh, what room you choose. Really, Reformed, Pentecostal, Lutheran, Baptist, Methodist, Anglican. Or non-denominational. That's okay. The point is that we all agree in Christ, right? So, I mean, we're in a, a Lutheran building right now, right? I have a very good Lutheran friend back there. Hey, friend. It's my boy Roy, right? But we agree on the essentials, right? What's the essentials? Christ, truly human, truly God, born of the Virgin Mary, died for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven and we'll be back these are the essentials right with the non-essentials there is liberty there's grace right that creates unity and that's what's beautiful right that's what's beautiful that's what's good and that's what's true let me pray mm. heavenly father thank you first for your beauty Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to die for us on the cross. Thank you for that beautiful love story that you loved us so much that you gave, period, gave of yourself. Lord, let us love you back. Holy Spirit, lead us throughout this week. Lead us today. Lead us to encounter your beauty in everything that we see. A sunrise, a sunset, art. A mom walking with her daughter, a dad walking with his son. Let us look at the faces of your people with just compassion and love. But not our compassionate love, Father, but your compassionate love. Holy Spirit, fill us with the fruits of your Spirit. 
Increase the fruits of the Spirit in each and every one of us today. And may we glorify you throughout this week, throughout this month, throughout the rest of our lives. We love you and we say this in Jesus' name.